Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. Hope you're having a great week. It's going to get better starting right now with this show. It's going to be outstanding. Uh, Steve Kim will be here. Coach Jason Brown, uh, Shamika Michelle, Bryson Gray, Pastor Anthony Walker. We're going to do a little Tennessee Harmony uh, talking about the movie uh, Jesus Revolution. I went to see it last night. So has Pastor Anthony. So has Bryson Gray. So has Shamika Michelle. We'll, we'll discuss that. You know, we just had another uh, movie show yesterday about Creed. Today's show in Tennessee Harmony will be about the movie Jesus Revolution. Uh, but we'll begin the show talking about Lamar Jackson and what's going on with his NFL free agency, and everybody has found another example of collusion and racism in the NFL because Lamar Jackson ain't getting what he wants, and we'll discuss that with Steve Kim and Jason Brown. I have some provocative thoughts that on, on that as well. We'll also get to the feud uh, between Kendrick Perkins and J.J. Redick uh, that played out over ESPN all about Nikola, Nikola Jokic uh, winning his third straight MVP, perhaps. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, but I want to start by reminding you all what you need to do as fearless soldiers. Hit that like button. We need 5,000 likes on this show. This show is going to be tremendous. It's going to be worthy of 5,000 likes. As you guys continue to pound that like button and leave a comment on all of our videos, if you want to be a good fearless soldier and do things that don't cost you anything but help us tremendously, Hit the likes button, hit the five-star review on Apple, leave a comment on YouTube, leave a review on Apple, hit the subscribes and tell all of your friends uh, we need that. Starting right now and throughout this show, any video of ours, leave a comment. These things all help beat the algorithm. Uh, it's been helping, what you've been doing has been helping us. And we continue to need that support. We're going to need it every day. And uh, appreciate those of you that are, are taking it upon yourself to help this show become more popular and have more traction and help us get more subscribers. You're doing a great job. I want to thank you. But you must continue. doesn't require any effort. You won't break a sweat. Uh, you won't even lose a calorie. But you'll be helping us by doing those small things. Uh, the other thing... Uh, that I want to remind you all of is to bank on yourself. Are you destined to outlive your savings? Studies show the average person will outlive their savings by almost 10 years. That's 10 years without a retirement income when you need it most. And that's proof conventional retirement planning advice has failed for most Americans. Thankfully, there's a better way to grow your nest egg. Bank on yourself 
is a guaranteed and predictable way to grow your hard-earned money. This retirement plan alternative gives you 100% control of your money plus tax-free income in retirement. You'll know what your tax rate will be in retirement. Zero undercurrent tax law, which protects you from the coming tax tsunami. You're also in control, unlike 401ks or IRAs, with Bank on Yourself, you get access to your money for any purpose at any time with no questions asked and no government penalties or restrictions on how much income you take or when you take it. Bank on Yourself is the strategy famous businesses like McDonald's use when no banker would lend them a dime and almost anyone can do it. With Bank on Yourself, your money is guaranteed to grow by a larger dollar amount every single year in both good times and bad. Now get a free report with all the details on how Bank on Yourself strategy adds guarantees, predictability, tax savings, and control to your financial plan. Just go to bankonyourself.com fearless. That's Bank on Yourself dot com slash fearless fearless soldiers we bank on ourselves we make ourselves bulletproof by being self-reliant bank on yourself.com slash fearless right now all right fantastic show i think i've told you all to hit the subscribes oh last thing i'm unsure about this jacket i liked it when i first saw it and then they delivered it to me, and I don't know what to think. Th this color seems a bit much, and it, 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 I don't know. So I'm leaving it up to you all uh, in the comments, in the chat. What do you think of this jacket? What do you think about this color scheme? Is it, is it too much? Is it, you know, I, I, I don't know. Need your thoughts. I would also like to show you, but, I, I, well, I got a little wheatgrass stain on uh, this shirt. I bought some shirts online that uh, allegedly are 2X. It's got to be the smallest 2X in the history of the world. If I, un if I unzip this jacket and showed you this shirt, you'd be like, well, it's got a girdle on or what, you know, who knows what's going on. But I bought a bunch of these shirts. They all, they're like mediums. And I'm like, how you got a 2X sign on this shirt that's clearly a medium? But it was really humbling. It made me this shirt, and because I, I think I bought six or seven of them, different colors and all this other stuff. Because I thought, hey, this will look good underneath this jacket. It was very humbling, and it made me go get on my Stairmaster and go, I got some work to do. If this is what they're calling a 2X, I got some work to do. This jacket's a 1X and it fits awesome. This shirt is a 2X and it feels like <clears throat> I'm wearing a toddler's shirt. Like I need to give this shirt to TJ's new boy, Isaiah. Anyway, I don't want you to comment on the shirt because I'm embarrassed to shut one that's got this wheatgrass stain on it. Anytime I drink this green drink, it dribbles on me. I don't know what's about my lip or the cup, but anyway, uh, I want your comments on the jacket, uh, not the shirt. Uh, don't anybody, any of you that are bothered that, you know, I obsess about my looks, fine, complain. You don't look as good as me, that's because you don't care about looking good. I care about how good I look. I know I look tremendous, so I like to talk about it and share it with you all. Anybody that can't hear the self-deprecation, 
screw you, this show's not for you, move on. All right, uh, let's go out to uh, Steve Kim and begin our conversation on Lamar Jackson. Uh, Pro Football Talk put out a tweet. Do we have that tweet? Pro Football Talk put out a tweet. It's virtually impossible to prove collusion, but we know it when we see it. And we're already seeing it with Lamar Jackson now that he'll be available to talk to other teams. But three teams have quickly made it known they're not interested in talking to Lamar Jackson. Oh, my God, the horror. Teams don't want to talk to Lamar Jackson. I think it's the Falcons, the Panthers, maybe the Raiders. I I can't remember the the, the three or four teams. Leaked to reporters, nah, we're good. We don't want to deal with Lamar Jackson. Oh, it's collusion. It's racism. It's, 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 it's the end of the world. Teams don't want to talk to Lamar Jackson. And I'm like, when is it ever going to end? How many black quarterbacks have to be the richest guys in all of professional sports or in the NFL before we stop with this silliness and madness. Deshaun Watson got $230 million guaranteed with 20-some-odd court cases or allegations of sexual misconduct against him. He's black. He's got all these charges uh, up against him. And the Cleveland Browns gave him $230 million guarantee. But <laughs> no. No, no. What Lamar's facing is racism. This is what every black quarterback faces. Look, I'll even drag Joe Mixon into this. We got this guy on tape knocking out a woman at 19 years old. On tape. Sucker punch, knocked her out. On tape. He's in the NFL, had a good NFL career, and now there are allegations that Joe Mixon uh, uh, shot at some teenage kids in his neighborhood. But oh, the NFL is so racist. It's just so racist. These NFL owners, they gave Patrick Mahomes a half billion dollars, but they're racist. They gave Deshaun Watson $230 million. He hadn't played in a year and a half, but they're racist. Just cut it out. And I know everybody's going to say, well, we're not charging racism. We're just charging collusion here. And it's cold word for Lamar's being mistreated because he's black. Everybody knows what you're doing. Let, let, we'll start with the ESPN clip from Ryan Clark, who is basically the Kendrick Perkins of the NFL. The only thing provocative he can think to say is, oh, they're racist. They're racist. They're racist. It's unfair what's happening to Lamar. Play the clip. If you believe that all these teams and executives and owners aren't upset with the deal that Deshaun Watson got in Cleveland, then you've absolutely lost your mind. And when Adam says that the team or that Baltimore has an idea of what the market can be, we know the combine is less about those dudes on the field and more about the conversations going on between between traders and between free agents and having those conversations. And if you don't think that collusion 
collusion is a part of this league and the league understands that we don't want to continue giving these guaranteed deals out, then you're absolutely out of your mind. And so for Lamar Jackson to hit the open market like this, I believe the Baltimore Ravens think that there is a strong possibility he will not get that fully guaranteed contract. It almost feels like a, yeah, go ahead, go out on them streets and see how hot those streets aren't for you, Lamar Jackson, and then come running back to us. Well, RC makes a great point, and, and I was in the league before RC. I'm going to date myself, but this has always been the posture of owners <laughs> in the National Football League. We do not do like these other leagues, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be. We don't give guaranteed contracts, fully guaranteed contracts. And when you think about the situation, the Cleveland Browns decided to do that. And now any player in the National Football League is hoping another guy will get a contract like this, right? And the owners don't want this to happen. Yep. This is the last thing they want to happen. Guaranteed players, full salary. And nor should they, particularly in the NFL, uh, when these guys all claim they got CTE and they're all looking for a way out of the NFL while still collecting all their money. I'm, not all of them, but many of them. And, and this whole thing, like, if you think collusion, this is what the combine's all about. It's blah, blah, blah. This is every smart man or woman in life, whether they have a business or not. When you're in a dating relationship, sometimes in a dating relationship, things won't be going well. And one of the people in that relationship is like, you know what? I need to put uh, uh, Brittany out here on these streets so she can see what the streets have for her as opposed to what I'm giving her. And sometimes Brittany will look at Jerome and say, you know what? I've been too good to Jerome. Let me put him out on the street and take this away from him so he can see what Bianca and LaShonda and Michelle have to offer. Let's see if he can get something better than what I'm offering him, because I got the good good. That goes on in life. The, the executives at ESPN, when contracts come up, they sit around and go, you know what? I think the market's going to pay Trey Wingo or Herm Edwards or Ryan Clark X, Y, and Z, Stephen A. Smith X, Y, and Z. And so we're going to base what we're willing to pay, what our line in the sand is, based off what we think the market will do. This is common sense. This is what everybody does in all aspects of life. This isn't unique for Lamar Jackson. Just cut it out. He's not a victim here. Lamar Jackson has played the game, the financial game in the NFL. As of right now, he's played it the wrong way. And he's going to pay a cost for that. And this is the road that he chose. He may have to sit out part of this season because he didn't get an agent. He and his mama wanted to do his deal themselves. Well, these are the consequences of that decision. Now, it's a personal thing for Lamar. And at his age, he can't handle it.
I'm just sorry. He can't. It's too personal for him. His ego's caught up in it. And so with an agent and you're more detached and an agent coming in your ear telling you, Lamar, here's what I think the market is going to do and say, based off the contract Deshaun got and the way how horrible he was this season, based on the deal Russell Wilson got and how horrible he was this season, going to be a real reluctance to give away, you know, no one's going to get that Deshaun Watson contract again. The Browns screwed up there. They gave an idiot $230 million guaranteed. No other owner wants to make that mistake. That could set the Browns, may, if, if Deshaun Watson doesn't snap out of it and return to being a great player, the Browns organization may suffer for the next five to 10 years because of that decision. That's business. That's just business. It's not racism. It's not collusion. It's just business. And it's like I, I listen to these guys on ESPN and, and these former players, and they just sound like idiots who don't understand common business practices. Cosell, uh, help me out here. Am I wrong? I, th- th- this uh, Lamar Jackson, this is on him. He, he didn't want an agent. And so he he does he's in water that he doesn't understand and he's drowning and all these guys want to throw him life preservers when they need to go swim out there and pull him back to shore and say hey man you're an idiot get an agent and figure this thing out later you're you know the the NFL needs to have their current version of what about Favre to what about Deshaun Watson (laughs) because it can be used by both sides (laughs) because from Lamar's side right him and his mom can say. Well, we want all of our quarter billion to a billion dollars guaranteed. I mean, what about Deshaun? And then all the NFL executives that are going to like face these claims of racism and collusion, they could point to Deshaun Watson and say, yeah, what about Deshaun Watson? So I find this thing to be fascinating, but it's really interesting. I find a lot of parallels to what I see in the boxing Twitterverse with what I call the fanagers, these people that have no real say in anything, but they love, they love to live vicariously through these athletes like they're shareholders or they get a percentage of the pot, and they're so outraged. Then you have the media members that instead of laying out facts and giving a perspective, they become full-blown activists, and they, they push so hard, and they almost try to pressure uh, these franchises to give deals that they don't want to. Now, I, I find it interesting. Is there a form of collusion? You know what, Jason? I think there might be in a sense that the whole league, 31 other franchises are saying, hey, let's not make the deal Cleveland did. Guess what? I agree. I wouldn't either. That was a reckless deal. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, just because the Browns jumped off the bridge don't mean that everyone else has to either. But let's look at the facts of Lamar Jackson. If you actually break down his statistics and his physical health, Since the MVP year, what, 2019, he's been injured, missed a lot of games, didn't want to play in a playoff game. His production has slipped. So before you start saying that it's just outright collusion, right, or racism, those variables matter. And one more point here. 
all these journalists and media members pointing out what Daniel Jones is getting and these other quarterbacks, that's fair. Keep this in mind. Most likely, no matter where Lamar Jackson ends up for the next few years, his guarantee will probably be above and beyond that. So let's keep this in perspective. He is not working for minimum wage, and we will not have to start a GoFundMe campaign. Look, he wants a fully guaranteed contract. He's missed 10 of the last 22 games. Who, you don't have the leverage. You've missed 10 of the last 22 games, and you play the quarterback position in a very physical way. Yeah. This is – look, man, take all the emotion, take all the personal stuff out. Just deal with the football aspect. Someone sit Ryan Clark, any of these alleged – Mike Florio and Pro Football Talk, these guys are supposed to be hardcore football people that understand the business. A guaranteed contract? You would He's missed 10 of the last 22 games and didn't play in a playoff game, and you want someone to guarantee all of your money? And you're wondering why teams aren't rushing in to, to, to hand you one of the richest guaranteed contracts in the history of the NFL, and teams are sitting there saying, Hey, Lamar and his mama are delusional. I'm going to sit this one out. I don't want to deal with a delusional player. And I'm going to go back to my relationship analogy. If you sat there, and guys will do this, they'll sit there and say, you know, Jason or, or Jerome was dating Cindy, and he took her on vacations, he got her hair done, he got her nails done. He... he when her mama got sick, he paid some of her hospital bills. He did X, Y, and Cindy still wasn't happy. It wasn't enough. And so people would be like, I know it's supposed to be some good stuff, but I'm going to sit this one out. It ain't worth the headache. The Baltimore Ravens franchise turned everything over to Lamar. Yeah. They went with Greg Roman. They did an offense built around Lamar. They, they did the entire franchise. And they can't reach a deal with him. They know him best. They've been in a relationship with him. They can't satisfy him and make him happy. Why would the Atlanta Falcons think, oh, yeah, we're going to make him happy. He'll be satisfied with us. They just don't think that. And it's just like, it ain't worth it. I'm not getting involved. He's missed 10 of the last 22 games. I'm not doing that. This, this isn't collusion. This is common sense. Jason, it's very simple. Uh, here's the issue. Not only do these teams not want to pay an extra, let's say, 7 to $10 million per year, and then all of that contract to be guaranteed throughout the lifespan of that deal, there's also the football realization we have to turn over everything, the offensive style. We may have to get a new style of coordinator. We have to get new pieces. And then if – Lamar cannot evolve as a more of a pocket passer where there's at least two dozen plays where the ball gets out early and it's nice and easy. He might get injured again. So, you know, people don't want to say this, but I really believe a lot of these white reporters and media pundits feel as though they have to cape up for Lamar because that, that is their version of the BLM rainbow sticker flag right on their front yard 
because if they tell the truth, they're going to get it on Twitter. They're going to, and they can't take the heat because they're gutless. And quite frankly, and I do understand this, they want to keep their job. But I, I, I give credit to anyone that is not black that is flat out saying, I wouldn't pay Lamar. No, because you know they're going to take heat. And it takes a special type of person to say, you know what? This is what I believe. These are the facts. I'm going to stick by it, say whatever you want, and I'm going to be Teflon. But a lot of this is not media coverage. It is flat-out pandering. You reminded me of the much larger point or the other home run point I wanted to make. Let's say you're a head coach and the owner comes to you. You want us to go after Lamar Jackson? And, and I'm, hmm, I'm the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. If I get Lamar Jackson and he's, he's had, he was MVP in 2019, the media thinks he's the most talented quarterback in the league. If I don't have immediate success with Lamar Jackson, Mm. And I can't get the offense up and running. You think the media is going to blame <laughs> Lamar Jackson or are they going to blame me? Is it going to be, well, well this, this coach doesn't know what he's doing. Mike McDaniel's an idiot. Did you see what Baltimore did with Lamar Jackson? Why aren't they doing that with him? Mike McDaniel has to go. And first of all, the head coach is worried about that. And then the head coach, if, you're, if he's not a play caller, is sitting there looking for an offensive coordinator other than Greg Roman who will raise their hand and say, yeah, I want Lamar Jackson here. I want to stake my career and reputation on Lamar Jackson and build an offense around him. Because, again, if it doesn't work, Lamar is taking no blame. Only the coach is. It's not an equal partnership. And so... The coach is risking everything. A coach can fail with Tua Tung Viola, and some of the blame's gonna fall on Tua. You can fail with Ryan Tannehill. It's gonna fall on, fail with Derek Carr. It's gonna fall on Derek Carr. If you sign Lamar Jackson, it's all on you. If it doesn't work, Jason. it's only the coach to blame. It's funny that you bring up Atlanta, because I was thinking about this. I think that's the best fit for him in in for several reasons. Number one, they have been looking for their next Michael Vick. I, I remember reading stories about eight, nine years ago, even when Matt Ryan was at that MVP clip, when he was really a good, solid NFL quarterback, how people still regarded Michael Vick as their quarterback in Atlanta. And just culturally, being in Atlanta, it fits. Also, they play in a dome stadium on a fast track. They have a good running back, and they drafted a really good big-body receiver out of USC last year, Drake London. So then you have that number one receiver. I was thinking about all the teams. Where would it fit outside of Baltimore? I kept thinking, you know what? Atlanta seems to be a good fit, but they've already made their peace. We're not paying a guy $300 million guaranteed because, I'm going to say it again, what about Deshaun Watson? If you're Arthur Smith, head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. You're in your third season. You've gone seven and 10 your first two years. If you bring in Lamar Jackson and you don't win nine, 10, 11 games, it's all your fault. 
None of it. If Lamar Jackson gets hurt, it, it's not Lamar Jackson's fault. Oh, you shouldn't have run him. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have done X, Y, and Z. It, 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 you're asking Arthur Smith to go all in on Lamar Jackson, and I don't blame him for being reluctant. Okay. But, Jason, let's be honest. They were going nowhere with Marcus Mariota. He was a stopgap, I believe. Got that it. They've cut okay, now. The rookie they had from you can, Cincinnati. You can blame Marcus Mariota, though. You can blame. You can cut bait with Marcus Mariota. Yeah. With Lamar Boy. Jackson, you're fired, and they're looking for a new coach to coach Lamar Jackson. Okay, but a lot of this comes with risk. And the rookie they got from Cincinnati last year, he just looks like a guy. I, I, I don't think he's a frontline NFL starter. He's good enough to be on a roster. I don't think he'll ever be an elite quarterback. If you are Arthur Smith and you have some faith, and again, he's got to have some guts to say, you know what? If we're seven and ten with that quarterback situation last year, right? And if I add an MVP who was still theoretically in his prime, at least right now, why not? If you're just looking to play it safe and be a 500 coach the rest of your career, I'm going to tell you what that that is not good for your job fortunes. It isn't. I'm going to tell you so why, I Steve. I'm going to tell I you why. I'm going to tell you why. As in the media, we love to throw out this. Availability is the most important ability. Yes, it is. We love to say it. We love to say it. Coaches actually believe it. And so Arthur Smith is sitting there saying, how available will Lamar Jackson be? He's missed 10 of the last 22 games. He's still out of the playoff game. And that is a variable. You're right. But I'm just saying, if you're Arthur Smith, and you want to play and roll the dice and say, you know what? I I, I have faith in my own coaching abilities. Why? I, I actually think, again, because if you really think that that young man from Cincinnati is going to take you to that next level, I don't see it. I, I don't see it, Jason. I don't think he. I don't think he thinks that either. But I think what he's saying, he actually believes availability is the most important okay. ability. Okay. Well, then he'll be seven and ten. Where would you put? Where would you put Lamar? On a scale of 1 to 32 NFL quarterbacks, where do you rank him on the availability ability oh, at, this point, at this moment? Low 20s, low, wait, wait, mid to late 20s. <laughs> He's pretty much down there. You're right. The, I cannot argue that. I cannot argue that point because that is a fact, which people, unlike us, we are, we are at least willing to acknowledge it. So this has perfect segue synergy with the Kendrick Perkins, J.J. Reddick conversation (laughs) because the level of stupidity of the conversation around Jokic's uh, latest MVP bid and and how J.J. Reddick exposed that, hey, this conversation around Jokic is stupid. And, and ESPN, the alleged worldwide leader in sports, and, and I would throw Fox Sports in there. The conversations are so stupid, so devoid of reality, so, so devoid of substance. They're just feeding people slop. It's, it's, these shows are all should just be called Twitter on TV. It, it, it's just that level of stupid. And J.J. Reddick's not playing along with the narrative and just blew up Kendrick Perkins on first take and literally, uh, which I, I thought was the most dangerous, 
is he blew up first take very politely, mm-hmm. but he called out first first take. Let's Ooh. play the clip, and I, I can't wait to hear your reaction. Say, I want to just say but something, Beck, give, Stephen give A. I, I mean, uh, Stephen A. I mean, I mean no offense to you, mm. and I mean no offense to First Take, because I think this show is extremely valuable. It is an honor to be on this desk every day. It really is. But what we've just witnessed is the problem with this show, where we create narratives that do not exist in reality. The implication, what you are implying that the white voters that vote on NBA are racist, that are, they, they favor white people. You I just not, said that. You ju- not, yes, you did. I yes, did you did. Not, did yes, not, you did. That I is exactly not, what you implied, Kendrick Perkins. That is exactly what you implied. Secondly, hold on, hold on. I did not call. I stated the facts. I stated the facts. And you're not about to sit up We all know what you implied the other day. We all know what you implied just now. Hold on. I stated the time. It's the facts. It's the facts. I love his point. We create a narrative that has nothing to do with reality. That's what's going on with Lamar Jackson. That's what's going on with Nikola Jokic in his MVP bid. They're messing with the wrong one. They're going to F around and find out that J.J. Redick made $100 million in the NBA and he's not going to play their false narrative game. It'll be interesting if they can get him in line. Well, look, Kendrick, you threw out the chum. You didn't think the Sharks would come. I'm just going to say this to old JJ. JJ, you were very disrespectful of the pioneers of the NBA because I thought you were trying to curry favor with a certain generation of fan. But after yesterday, oh, that is a permanent revocation of your invitation to the cookout and barbecue. I, I actually think Tommy Sotomayor might right now might be more welcome to the barbecue than old J.J. Reddick. I, I actually think Pete Rose might get into the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown before old J.J. gets back to the cookout. But it had to be said. It had to be said. And you know what? Looking at Stephen A.'s reaction, I don't think he completely disagreed with J.J.'s statement. He may have not liked it. He may have disagreed with it being aired out publicly. But I didn't see him raising his hand saying, no, 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 no. I didn't see him defending his show. I think he realized, like, you know what? You have a point. You have a point. And J.J. Redick, wow. Wow, welcome back. Welcome back, J.J. Welcome back. I I think... I think in real time, J.J. put Stephen A. in check because he did it, unpacked it so politely and professionally and gave first take its flowers while saying, hey, look, this show, and he's really talking about all these shows, are talking about things completely devoid from reality. Kendrick Perkins is, I stated facts. I stated facts. Uh-huh. And, and, and what Kendrick can't comprehend in real time is that you can state facts that don't prove your assertion. And so, so Kendrick Perkins said 80% of the voters are white. That is a fact. It doesn't prove your assertion, though, that those 80% white voters favor Nikola Jokic 
or Dirk Nowitzki or Steve Nash. It, it's, it is a fact, but it doesn't prove your assertion. And Kendrick and anybody else that's watching or may see this clip and let's cut it out and, and put it out there over social media so that they will see it. Someone could state a fact and say, uh, someone could go on TV today and talk about Joe Mixon. And could you know what? Uh, black men are uh, six, seven percent of the American population, and they do 53, 54 percent of the violent crimes in America. Therefore, Joe Mixon's guilty. And, and someone, I just stated the facts. I just stated the facts. If you state those facts, people will call you racist if you were white and said those things. If you want to just roll out some facts and act like, well, that uh, immunizes me from ever being accused of racism or doing anything false. You can state facts that don't prove your assertion. You can misuse facts to create false narratives. It can all be done, and that's what J.J. Reddick is accusing you of appropriately. These guys don't like where the NBA is headed. Jokic's style of play works real well in the regular season. It puts you in position to win MVPs. It, it, it's yet to be proven that it works at the highest level in the postseason, but we'll see. Uh, it, it, it's It's... Kendrick Perkins and a lot of these guys, Ryan Clark, they're just way out over their skis, man. And ESPN allowing them to dumb down every conversation is, is annoying and it's frustrating. And it's, it's what we're seeing is like there are smart athletes that are like, man, this is beneath us, the game, me participating in these dumbed down conversations. Hats off to J.J. Reddick for calling it out. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I know one thing. In high school, Kendrick Perkins was certainly on the basketball team. There's no way he could have been on the debate club. I mean, juice. But, you know, I didn't realize this. I'm, I'm, I'm going through Twitter. I don't follow the NBA as much as I used to. I didn't realize out of the last 25, 30 years, there's only been three white or European MVPs. So it's not like there's a great white hope here. You know, we're not looking for the next Jess Willard. Let's be honest. And, and I really believe just like if you look at the last three, four years during this Jokic run where he might do the hat trick of the MVP, I, I believe if I'm a voter, if you do not play in at least 90 percent of your games, I'm not voting for you. I don't care if it's an injury or load management or both. Because, Like you just said a couple minutes ago, availability is the greatest ability. But, you know, Jason, I want to take over my show just for a second here before I get cut out. <laughs> um, you slandered a European player. You did your version of Kendrick Perkins. So let me go J.J. Kim. Your tweet about Pau Gasol not deserving to have his number 16 on the rafters of the Crypto.com arena, that is absolute blasphemy. Are you kidding me? In the immortal words of John McEnroe, you cannot be serious because without the Spaniard, Kobe's whole legacy is shot to bits because they do not win those two NBA titles. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, the hockey assist for putting your jersey in the rafter. Because you, he helped Kobe, we got to put his jersey in, in the rafters. Jason, let's go back. 
post-Shaq, Kobe was putting up his best basketball games. I've Why are you seen. talking about Kobe Bryant when we're talking about Pal Gasol? It's two different Gasol. things. No, because they're tied in together because every Batman needs a Robin, and he was an unbelievable Pippin to foe Jordan. You and think Kareem back. needed Magic to get his jersey retired? You think Magic needed Kareem to get his jersey retired? You know what's funny about Magic? He never won a title without the big fella. But that's just, again, another fact. But let's go back to 2010. Kobe Bryant should not have been the NBA Finals MVP that year. Played the worst game I've ever seen. You know who rescued us? You know who rescued us? Hey, you, you do know that Magic won an NCAA title, right? So did, so Over Larry Bird. Bird in one of the greatest games in history. Oh! And by the way, he had two other NBA players, Jay Vincent and uh, another NBA player, Greg Kelsler. Can you name me another Indiana State player? I don't think you can. But let's go back to Game 7 yeah, in I can. Carl Nix. I'm from Indiana. Uh, when, don't don't, okay, don't, that, don't that do that. That doesn't count. Then. But let me just tell you something. Uh, in, to paraphrase Tina Turner, uh, we don't need another hero, but we needed Pau Gasol because Kobe Bryant shot 6 for 24 in that Game 7. And by the way, the cult of Kobe said, you need to watch that game again. No, I don't. I'd rather watch Creed 3 than that abomination of a basketball game that the Lakers would not have won without Kung Pao Gasol because we were Kung Fu fighting as he led us back. And the Spaniard that night in that series was our maximum. Good Lord. He was our gladiator inside. Good Lord. And I applaud his career. He's going to be a Hall of Famer, by Good the way. Lord. He will be a Good Hall of Famer. Lord. The Good next time Lord. I go to crypto, when I see that 16, I am going to salute that because that is well-deserved. Stop the slander, Kendrick Whitlock. God, you sickened me with that tweet today. Just sickened me. Anyway, I'm done with my segment here, if, you, if, I, if I can go. I'm just, I just had to get that off my chest. That, that, that's one of your yeah, worst I, I, Trust me, if these soft fans of Fearless weren't so upset with me about abusing JB, I would have cut you off five minutes ago. No, you wouldn't. Uh, instead no. of no, allowing you, you to embarrass yourself. You I think well, <laughs> he's starting to freeze up. It's starting to, it's starting to freeze up. Let's move on from Steve Kim. I, it's frozen. Move on. Get, yeah, thank you. There we go. Perfect. Awesome. Uh, I'm, I, and now I got to deal with Jason Brown next after just going through that. Pray for me. And this is why you need to be coming to the uh, summit, the men's summit, April 15th. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. We're going to raise up some men to uh, stand against this toxic culture we have here. We're going to have a great time. Uh, time's running out. We're five weeks away from roll call, five and a half weeks away from roll call. You need to sign up, get your tickets, quit talking about, be about it. Come join us here. It's going to be an awesome event. There's still some tickets available for the Friday night live show. Still some tickets available for the uh, breakfast uh, on Saturday uh, beforehand. And there's tickets available for the event on Saturday. There will be all day music, food, great conversation, some inspiring words from myself and Pastor Anthony and Pastor Bobby and TJ Moe and Delano Squires. Tomorrow's going to be there. You need to be there. FearlessArmyRollCall.com. Go there now. Hit the likes. I need 5,000 likes for this show for putting up with Steve Kim. And now I got to put up with Coach Jason Brown next. Atheist, the secular world, the culture 
uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture. We, we have to do that. You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president. Is transgender surgery for children? Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're gonna stop fighting today and you're gonna let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let him chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let him sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl and you're gonna let him make the Bible hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for. Absolutely. I'm telling you, so it's like everybody, that's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the, the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you, you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here. Sometimes just standing up, just saying no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I, I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ. I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men. Once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out. You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. All right, welcome back. Uh, before we get to Coach Jason Brown, I want to remind you all to hit the likes. We need 5,000 likes, but I also want to remind you, uh, I believe it's 9 p.m. Central Time. Royce White's nightly show or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday show airs tonight. 
youtube.com slash please call me crazy. Need you to watch Royce's show tonight in particular. It's very good. I've talked with Royce about this. Uh, so if you're looking for something to do after our show, Royce White Show, youtube.com slash please call me crazy. It's going to be special and very good tonight. I want you to do that. I also want you to right now, right now in the chat, in the comments, say a little prayer for me that I'm able to get through this next segment with uh, JB. After what I just went through with uh, Steve Kim, uh, I need some positive energy so I can deal uh, with the level of frustration Steve Kim just put me through. I, I hope JB, I wasn't planning on asking you this. And Lord, forgive me for asking this because I have no idea what JB's going to say. But uh, Steve Kim just argued that Paul Gasol is worthy of having his jersey retired as a Laker because of what he did for Kobe Bryant. I, I've just never heard that argument. I always thought it was an individual. Magic Johnson's not retired because of what he did for Kareem. Kareem's not retired because of what he did for Magic. Uh, James Worthy isn't retired because of what he did for Kareem and Magic. These are individual things, but you live out in Los Angeles. You're a Lakers fan. I hope you have more sense than Steve Kim. I love Steve and his takes are usually spot on, but this one, uh, it's about as off as that purple jacket of yours, man. I got to be honest. <laughs> I truly think that uh, Paul was very, very skillful, talented guy, but the Celtics punked him in that finals and I lost all respect for him. I thought KG punked him. He, 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 Kay, even Kendrick Perkins uh, punked him. And I'm, I lost a lot of respect for Paul Gasol. And he is not, even though he's a Hall of Fame skill set type of guy, he lost a lot of love in L.A. during that finals that they, they got beat in because of how soft he played. And I believe even Kobe Bryant called him out as being soft and said uh, if you weren't so soft, you'd be a Hall of Famer, no question. I can't, I can't put him in there for doing something for Kobe. I don't know if he did anything for Kobe. Kobe won two rings after Shaq, which was why I put Kobe in, a, in such high regard. But Paul is too soft for me. I, I just can't do it. I like Mark better than Powell. I'll just – you've as you've prone to do, you, you say so many different things that I get lost and frustrated – so I, I just got to, what's the matter with my jacket? I, asked, I began the beginning of the show asking for people's thoughts on my jacket. Uh, what, what's your problem with my jacket? Is that lavender? Uh, it's some kind of purple. It's lavender. It's some kind of, You can't be wearing lavender, Jason. You and I can't wear lavender. You imagine me with lavender? <laughs> <laughs> You imagine me wearing lavender right now? I'm getting killed by my crew. <laughs> anyway, hey, I'm I'm a little. Hold on, Jason. I gotta let you know something. Yeah. We are who we surround ourselves with. We already are talking about John Moran and how soft his circle is, and a bunch of yes men and and yes sir. Who is your circle? I got to have a confrontation with, I got to have a conversation with your circle for allowing them to allow you to wear a lavender jacket on air. 
JB, I think you're right. That's why I'm so insecure. But I began the show asking, like, something doesn't feel right about this jacket. And I thought it was like, it almost feels pink. The jacket, I saw it, and it was purple in my head. But you're right. It's And you now just made me go look up lavender. And I'm like, this is lavender. I think you're right. Hey, if it was Laker purple... It'd be different. Laker purple, deep, deep rooted purple, maybe different. But lavender, Jason, I think you're going to take some heat on this. Yeah, I think I deserve it. Mm. All right, let's let's get down to business here. This is another topic where I think uh, we may end up agreeing. I don't have a problem with teams coming out on record and said, nah, I, I'm, not, I'm not going after Lamar Jackson. I don't think this is collusion. I think it's common sense. I, I think that when a guy is asking for Deshaun Watson's amount of guaranteed money and he hasn't been available in 10 of the last 22 games, and avail- I, I just told Steve Kim, availability is a nice little catchphrase for fans and sports broadcasters and all that, but I go with coaches, they actually authentically believe availability is the most important ability. And when you're not available, you can't demand 200 million guaranteed. You don't have the leverage to make that kind of uh, of demand. Am I right? There's so many avenues to this one, man. Um, first of all, you know I'm on record talking about just the inability of uh, his 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 passing um, efficiency. All right, we know he's a thrower, but his passing inefficiencies is number one on my board as to why you don't sign him, because the NFL has a set the market at a high, high, high scale for wide receivers. Wide receiver marketplace is the highest we've ever had it in the history of the NFL. So that means the NFL wide receivers are going to only get better and they're only going to get paid more. When you have more wide receivers in the NFL and better wide receivers than you do quarterbacks, there's a problem. We had 39 quarterbacks play in the NFL last year, Jason, who threw 100 passes or more. 39 quarterbacks. What does that tell you? That tells you that we have a mediocrity is our new excellent situation. The NFL is riddled with mediocre quarterbacks. And you have Lamar Jackson sitting right here in the middle is a non-efficient passer with great receivers riddled through all the NFL. And you're going to pay a guy $200 million to do what? Run the football with great wide receivers in your offense? I mean, it's an oxymoron. It makes no sense. And the NFL owners, the NFL coaches know this. And I've only been saying it forever, but they know this. And it's just blatant, put on the wall. It's not collusion, Jason. It's fact. The bottom line is the guy has not performed to what they thought he would do. And receivers don't want to play there for the simple fact that he's a thrower and a runner. He's not a passer. And they don't want to go there. And the bottom line is... They saw it. They said, all right, we know he's gone. We're going to get rid of our OC so it doesn't look as bad as us as it would if we just got rid of Lamar Jackson. We'll get rid of our OC first, 
Then we won't prioritize tag him. We'll low tag him so other teams can come forward and show that everyone is going to think the same way and no one's going to come after him with this $250 million contract. And again, I'm starting to look real good here, Jason, similar to your lavender. I think he's headed to Washington. I think he's headed to Washington. And Washington is one of the teams. Washington is one of the teams that's reported that doesn't have interest. I don't believe that at all. That's fluff. And you know in this game, Jason, coaches say, I'm not interested at all in leaving this job. And the next day they're hired as the new coach. You know, you hear this all the time. Uh, I, I think that's the. I think that's one of the only teams that actually can free up the space, Can will, will pay him more than he's worth. And I think that um, – I think Miami's out. I think that's – I don't think that's a good situation. I don't think the Raiders are going to pay anybody, period. And I don't think the Jets can – I don't think the Jets will pay Lamar Jackson 250. Now, I had a couple guys on today who think they would, but I think the Jets are all in on Aaron Rodgers right now trying to make that happen. And I believe after Derek Carr signed a two-year $60 million deal um, – which, which it is for all the naysayers out there who thinks he's guaranteed $100 million. He's not. He's guaranteed $60 million, which Derek Carr, I think, is deservingly right about what he deserves for a nine-year vet. Uh, he has to get to year three and four to get that $100 million. I don't think he'll make the third year in New Orleans. And I think now that he's set, you still have Tannehill out there. You still have Jimmy G out there. You still have guys like Jameis Winston out there, middle and lower the pack type of guys. It all depends on where Aaron Rodgers lands, in my opinion, where Lamar goes. Because if Aaron Rodgers ends up in New York or Frisco or Vegas, which I think are the only three spots Aaron Rodgers can end up in now, uh, even though I think Miami's the best spot for him, as I said on your show, I don't think that's going to happen anymore. I think if he lands in New York, I believe Washington uh, is going to be the, the number one suitor for Lamar Jackson. If I want you to come from a coaching perspective about going after Lamar Jackson and why his market isn't what he thinks it should be and all these fans and broadcasters, all the pressure is on the coach. A coach has to raise his hand and say, yep, I want Lamar Jackson. And I know that if it doesn't go well, the media is going to totally exonerate Lamar Jackson it's not how Baltimore had did X, Y, and Z with Lamar. How come you couldn't? And so what coach wants to sign up for, it's all my fault. If Lamar comes here and gets hurt, if he throws interceptions, if he's hanging out in clubs, if he's doing any, if he doesn't perform, it's all my fault. That's the head coach's thought. And then if you're an offensive coordinator, you got to raise your hand and go, yep, I can build an offense that will maximize and have Lamar Jackson playing at an MVP level. And many of these offensive coordinators don't know how to do that. And, and then they also know that if, regardless of what system you put him in, if it doesn't work, it's all your fault. Lamar Jackson is high risk for any coach, in my opinion, because he's not going to take any blame. There's one place, only one place in the NFL that, that fits what you're talking. Only one. So let's eliminate. Let's play process of elimination first. Eliminate McDaniel in Miami. This is He just finished year one. He had decent success. He faltered late. 
Um, he, he, there's no way he can take on Lamar Jackson going into year two after the Tua debacle and all the issues that he's facing. There's no way. Not with that wide receiver core. He's like, I'm not touching him, similar to what you just stated. Then you go to New York. The Jets have two good of wideouts, the rookie of the year, the defense, possibly top two or three defense in the NFL, great running game, cannot afford to take Lamar into Salah's year three of a head coach. I'm not going to risk it. You can go through all the league and talk. We can do this all 32 teams. I can go through it. There's only one team that has a coach on the outs who has health issues, who just hired an assistant head coach who ran similar offensive scheme in Kansas City, who has a similar ad-lib type of guy who learned great things from a head coach like Andy Reid. And that's Eric Bieniemy, who's the coach in waiting, Jason. And you know it is. And Washington Commanders. That's it. Because you're you comparing, know that Hold on. That head coach is a scapegoat. You're comparing Lamar to Patrick Mahomes, and that's crazy. No, I'm not. not comparing, I'm not comparing those two at all. I'm comparing these, these similarities in offensive skill set and offensive call, game planning. You have to game plan an offense and build it around very similar skill sets. Meaning that Lamar can ad-lib, tuck it and run. He can run RPO, but we can do something we couldn't do with, with Patrick. We can run true triple option and allow Lamar to actually run the football by design. And I can add that in Washington where I know that you know Ron Rivera is waiting to go due to either health or not winning games. Eric Bieniemy is going to be plugged in there. And he's the assistant head coach. And you know dang well, Ron Rivera said, listen, let's let's go all in for Eric Bieniemy and get him Lamar Jackson. I think that's what they're doing. I think that's in the works. And I think that is the perfect fit to prove, A, Eric Bieniemy can, can, can do it. Like everyone is kind of suspect on him. We think, Eric, let's go. Let's show it then, Eric. Show us you can do it by yourself. And I think it's the perfect scenario for all parties involved. I I could have swore, and, and 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 you may be right. Maybe it's all a smokescreen, but I could have swore they're saying Washington has no interest in Lamar Jackson. Hey, by the way, I had a couple guys that played and coached in the in the NFL, and, and one of them in particular who coached Terry McLaurin. And I told him what I told on your show last time. I said, you know, I think Lamar fits Washington much better than Miami because of the half-filled reads, the play action, the run to McLaurin, certain things. They, not, I'm not saying that, just not saying this just to prove that I'm right or anything, but they agree, even though they said some things you, they agreed to some things you said. They agree, though, that they need to, they, that whatever team takes Lamar has to be, a half-filled read team. He can't go in here and read the full field. And what teams remain out there? Because you're not going to get rid of two receivers, Jason, and trade them up to get two running backs in a running back league that the average lifespan is two years. You're not going to do it. You've seen they just tagged Saquon Barkley and signed Daniel Jones to a $190 million deal, a guy who threw 15 touchdowns. That is how bad quarterback play is in the NFL right now. 
We're having to sign Daniel Jones at $190 million because we're so scared what's behind him. We don't want to start all over and go get a rookie, and we don't want to trade for a Carson Wentz, Tannehill, Jimmy G. We don't want to go that route either. So I'm just telling you, Saquon Barkley is a is a is a is a is a. We can lose Saquon. We can lose running backs in the NFL. They don't last very long. They're not durable. He's already off an injury. They're not going to pay him 12 or 13 million a year. They tried that in Dallas with Zeke. Um, you saw how that worked. They just tagged Pollard because Zeke is old and he's getting up there in age. And now you're trying to trade Derrick Henry, Jason. What does that tell you? NFL running backs means not for long. We don't really need you that long. And it's become a pass-happy league, and running backs are very, very uh, soon forgotten. And I think Derrick Henry is going to be a Buffalo Bill. I think that Diggs is going to be traded. Um, and I think Diggs will end up in Dallas with his brother. And I think Josh Allen will be upset. And he'll have to, they're, they're going to get Derrick Henry to say, we have to run the football, Josh Allen, or you're not going to survive very much longer in this league. And it's going to force the Buffalo Bills to be better offensively by running the football. And I think that's the best trade they can make is get Derrick Henry in Buffalo. And I think that is just showing you my point is the, the quarterback marketplace is so finicky because if, if Daniel Jones signed for this much, Jason, what do you think is going on in Jalen Hurts' head right now? Ding, 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 ding. I beat this guy three times. I went to the Super Bowl. I want $300 million now. The marketplace is getting stupid. Geno Smith just signed a $105 million deal. Comeback player of the year. First time really starting in the league for a, a, a full season. I mean, come on. This is this is getting bad. At, at, at some point, I almost want to see the NFL create a separate salary cap for quarterbacks. Because at this point right now, you're going to see the Kansas City Chiefs roster, Jason, speaking of your team, Look what they did. They didn't tag Orlando Brown, his best left tackle, and they just lost two possible starters on defense because that $500 million contract of Patrick Mahomes kicks in this year. And they have 11 picks in free agency or 11 picks in the draft. How many picks do you think 11 picks in this draft is really going to help that team that's that's veteran-driven? Not a lot. So you got to go find a left tackle that's better than Orlando Brown Jr. You're not going to find it. And and I'm just telling you, that roster is starting to get real, 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 real mathematical in your thinking. And the Kansas City Chiefs, don't be surprised if they're the next L.A. Rams. Uh, just let's win a few Super Bowls, and, and we don't care. Let's win a couple. Hey, Chiefs got two rings. You can't really say nothing bad about them. They got two rings. They've been to three Super Bowls. They got the job done. The Rams won last year. They got the job done. But now look at the Rams roster. Jalen Ramsey wants out. Their roster's old. It's increpid. They can't pay anybody. And yeah, yeah, I can tell you two guys the Rams don't have. I, I, I really, you know, you really annoy when you talk Chiefs because you don't put enough respect on Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. That's who the Rams don't have. So of course it's Andy. falling apart. I love same, Andy Reid. Andy same thing's Cal- not good. Same great. thing, yeah, so is Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and so the Rams don't have that, and that's why it's falling apart. 
we have the Chiefs have a quarterback coach combo that is second, to, none, second only to Tom Brady. I love when people say we have like you're on the roster. <laughs> By the way, the Chiefs don't wear lavender. They wear red. So get get a red jacket on and then say we. You know I gotta, rem- I gotta remember how much I paid for this jacket. Who it, wears that? I literally. Did the LA Sparks? Wear I don't lavender? know, but I, if I cut it in half, maybe I can give it to Tiffany and she can wear it. Uh, <laughs> I can't wear it. You know, lavender. it's funny. Uh, yeah, one of our producers, Christian, for and this is this is the truth. Christian, tell me if I'm, I walk in, he goes, ah, "I love the jacket." First, that is what you said. When I walked into the studio, that's what you said. Ah, I love the jacket. And yeah. <laughs> I'm questioning yes him. Man. Don't tell me my bang man Christian's a yes man. No, oh. I, I didn't even ask a question. I just walked in. Hey, I love the jacket. And so you're right, you know, you can't trust these young people that uh, I'm working with. But uh, thank you, JB. I got to go. We got to get right, to man. some Tennessee Harmony. I went to the movies last night, saw Jesus Revolution. Uh, JB needs to see Jesus Revolution. Are you hitting the likes? Right now, hit the likes. We need 5,000 likes. Hit that like button. If you're listening over Apple, give me that five-star review. Write a review. Uh, Do your job. Go to fearlessarmyrollcall.com. Bring your butt here to Nashville to fellowship with us in April. Don't wait any longer. Tickets are available. And uh, stay tuned. Tennessee Harmony. Next. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Time for a little Tennessee harmony uh, in my lavender uh, jacket. Pastor Anthony's already cracked a joke, said I don't like the Easter bunny. Uh, (laughs) But uh, Pastor Anthony's here. Bryson Gray is here. Uh, Shamika Michelle's going to join us via Skype. Fearless at the Movies continues. We all went to see the movie Jesus Revolution uh, before we... uh, have a discussion and review the movie. We're going to ask Pastor Anthony to uh, bless the conversation. Father God, we're thankful for today and every day that you've given us. Thankful for another opportunity to use what we have in any situation to glorify you. Uh, Bless us, bless this discussion and bless those who hear it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, You know what? I just had a thought because Bryson's been asking me all week, what movies have I seen recently that were really, really good. And it just made me think of, it's not a movie, but the first two episodes of The Chosen from this latest season played at movie theaters and I saw it there. And I did think that was another movie that I would put, I'd call a nine, those two episodes. I really enjoyed it. And that 
for different reasons, I enjoyed Jesus Revolution for similar but, but different reasons. I went into Jesus Revolution without any knowledge of what the movie was about. And I didn't even know if it, I didn't know it was based on a true story. I just knew it, the name and I knew that people had been talking about it. And I heard people say, hey, it's better than what I anticipated. So I was literally thinking, I don't know if Bryce and I may date myself here by saying this, but I would, my expectations were like, this is kind of like a after school TV movie. That's what my expectations going into it were. I thought it'd be cheesy and, you know, ba you know, not based in reality. And so my expectations were really low and my expectations were exceeded. I enjoyed the movie. And I got about halfway through the movie and go, man, I think this may be based on a real story. And 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 that kind of change, because if I had known that, I would have done research going in to see how close they stuck to the story. And so my expectations would have been different. Uh, but I got to judge it on how I felt leaving the movie theater last night. I call it a solid nine. I thought it was a uh, good movie, good script, well acted, compelling, at no point uh, did I fall asleep or even want to fall asleep, which is a very high bar for me. <laughs> Movies put me to sleep. Now, getting home, doing some research this morning on the story and, and really figuring out like what some of the things were that troubled me about the movie. I think I called Bryson right after mm -hmm. the movie and said, I don't know how I felt about the message. And, and again, even when I called you, well, I did know because at the end they ran down all the truth of the deal, but I was just like, this had to be a lot messier than what they portrayed in the movie. There's no way you're inviting a bunch of drugged up hippies, free love, early 1970s, you're inviting them into the traditional church and this not be a complete chaotic hot mess. They hinted at it. Some people left the church or whatever, but, but I'm like, hold on, man. These kids were, and, and just if you were doing drugs, you probably, some of them, a percentage of them are still doing drugs. And, and there's none of that conflict. And the people that left the church, they made it seem like they were very superficial and just had their nose in the air and weren't comfortable with these hippies. And I'm like, no, I bet you there was some madness, craziness going on. And they were like, I'm not down with this. Then this morning when I'm doing research, I figure out Lonnie Frisbee, the charismatic minister that helped the older minister build the church, closeted homosexual, died of AIDS in 1993. And I go, ah, <laughs> that's why people laugh. Because some people got gaydars that... <laughs> did, did, you hear, did you hear how he found Jesus or how he came to Jesus? Did you read that story too? No. Lonnie? Yeah. No. Uh, from the reports I've seen, this is from the reports I've read, that he came to Jesus because he was on acid and or on one of them drugs. And he actually, you know, felt the presence, you know, and that's how he finally realized, oh, yeah, that's how he came to Jesus. Mm. So 
I'll just say, I'll wrap my comments, initial comments with this. Left the movie a nine in reflection, looking at how they sanitize it. I'm still gonna call it an eight. It's a good movie, it's worth seeing. I sent my mother a note this morning. Mama, go see Jesus Revolution. It's better than 99% of the movies out in the theater. It's be something for me and her to talk about. And so that's the recommendation I would give to most people. Good movie, solid eight, go see it. Give us something to talk about. And then go do the homework afterwards. That's my review of uh, Jesus Revolution. And so uh, Pastor Anthony's probably the only person I know that is as passionate about movies as me. So we'll throw it in your lap. I was a number, I was a seven. And, and partly because, you know, with a story that's created so well, it was, the creativity was good in the movie, the way they merged, I like how they merged the story of, I think his name is Chuck Smith, the older yeah. minister. I like how they merged his story with Greg Laurie. Usually it's hard to follow the track of two completely different stories, but they merged that well with Lonnie, and, and I thought all that was good, but my radar is not necessarily a gaydar, but my radar was, okay, this is just too cheesy. Like everything is just all right. So much love and every little loose end is tied and every little turn, even when Lonnie leaves, it's a tense moment. You see him and his wife arguing and, and all of this, but even the way he left was just kind of a, oh shucks, I gotta go, just like, that's how you leave a powerful movement and ministry like this. It didn't seem realistic to me. You know, life has some tough turns. So I, I knocked that down. And then, you know, obviously afterward, Bryson and I talked about it, too. There was just, you know, finding out the truth of it. That's what makes the story compelling. If you really told it in its messiness and in its truth. And that's where, for me, looking at a Christian movie I mean, it's just like the Bible. There are some messy parts in the Bible, some drama, some just crazy, illicit stories. But then you match that with the grace of God, the blood of Jesus. That's what makes it real. So if I try to sanitize how bad it was and then I put the blood of Jesus like, well, y'all didn't need but a teaspoon of it. You were already doing well. And so I'm like, I, I didn't really go with that. So I'm about a seven. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go Shamika next, Bryson. Okay. Shamika, uh, your thoughts. I'll give it a nine, Jason, because I really loved it. And I actually cried throughout the entire movie. I don't know if you all want to take too much of that because I also cried at the last episode of Sex Life on, on Netflix. So it could just be my female <laughs> hormones all over the place. But I thought it was an excellent movie. I love the way it was depicted, the, the love of Christ with just everyone coming in. And I think I was really emotional because the last church I attended, the pastor and his wife were out of California. I don't know if they actually, you know, had any dealings with Greg. Lori or not. I know that I have a cousin who attends one of 
the churches that are affiliated with Harvest Church. And so that is the feeling that I got from that church and the feeling that I get from her. Just very biblical, biblically sound. And it made me kind of want to go back. I went and looked at the, the, the moment where we baptized my daughters in the lake with the pastor. He let me participate. Very laid back church, very um, just something different from what I was used to. And so I actually did go and do a little digging and I came across uh, my cousin sent me a podcast that Elisa Childers, I think is her name. She did a podcast and her father was actually a member of the Love Song Band. And so it was really good to hear him talk about his thoughts on the movie. He says that it's inspired by a true story. It's not a documentary. And so there were some things that they discussed in that podcast that kind of, you know, put some clarity to the movie. One of those things was... Um, that uh, Lonnie was not in homosexuality during the time that all of this was going on. He fell into homosexuality. He had been in, abused as a child and that the church did um, excommunicate him, but that there's like three books written on that were written on his deathbed where he repented repented. And also he said that he, he predicted that homosexuality was going to be one of the greatest challenges that the church would face in the coming years. And that he felt like homosexuality was wrong and that it was sin. And so that was something that he battled with. I appreciated them not bringing all of that into the movie because to me, then it would have gotten to a pissing match. Um, because if you mention the sins of the hippies, then I think you also have to be honest that some of uh, sex, you know, sin is present in the church with or without hippies. I've seen it so much growing up in the church and just being around church for so many years. And so I was glad that they actually focused on the word. And they also said that Pastor uh, Chuck was a lot more biblically sound than the movie portrayed and that he is actually a biblical teacher. And if, you know, I'm a fruit inspector. And so what I found out is that a lot of these people are still connected to Christ. Um, these members of the Love Song Band are still in the church, still preaching the gospel. And um, so I really liked the movie a lot. And my daughter who is 19, she went with me to see it. She has been telling everybody about the movie so much so that her dad and her sisters are going back on Sunday because she just can't stop talking about it. Mm. See, I, 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 I kind of like that take. Bryson, your full thoughts on the movie. Six. I'm giving it a six. Um, and really, it would be lower if the acting wasn't so good in it. Um, I, I understand how this could influence people emotionally, um, which is why I give it a six. I feel like this movie is dangerous. Um, I feel like leaving out the truth of the matter, that's, that, that, that's like leaving out the truth of what happened to Lot. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. The true story of Lot is very, is very graphic. They came in there, they, they wanted his sons to rape him. That's what happened. And then he said, wait, I got daughters, chill out. You know what I'm saying? And then they got so mad, they, was about, they pulled him out, about to do the same thing to him. Like, oh, this is how you want to go. This is reality. 
This is reality. That's what the Bible teaches. So when you leave out reality, what's your agenda? Why are you leaving it out? And obviously, this is a mainstream Hollywood film studio that left that, that, that left that part out because, of course, they don't want to have the part where that is wrong. And and, and Shamika's right. Greg Laurie, Greg Laurie, when you look at him, he he seems to call out sin. But the danger of this movie is, and I'm about to say something very controversial. Everybody grow up getting taught the church is a house of sinners. No, the church is a house of repenters. Because if you read 1 Corinthians 5, this is a letter from Paul to the church of Corinth. You understand something very interesting. It talks about a situation and he said, remove all sexual immoral people from your church. That's what Paul said. But when the person repented that this was based on, he was allowed back into the church. That's how a church is supposed to run. So the way this movie presents it, once again, it gives you the perception of a hippie Jesus. Do whatever you want. You know what I'm saying? Who, who really cares? Everybody's love. And that's not a biblical like my issue with this story, we, we got a, we finally got a movie about Jesus produced professionally in the, in, in the movie theater. And it's based on a real story. So I'm not saying they need to push my the agenda I want to push, but I feel like if they would have added in the truth, the entire truth of the situation, it would have had more of a biblical take on it. This is why they broke up. This is why Chuck wanted him out. You know what I'm saying? Instead of hiding that from people, I think that's what made it. I, I, I don't. It's, it's dangerous. That movie is very dangerous. He's calling it dangerous. You agree with that, Anthony? I, I see why he says that. I, I have concerns like that. Uh, Paul, you know, says in Romans chapter 12, I think I referenced it on the slide as well, uh, to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. I, I'm not opposed to sharing a gospel with people that look different, uh, have different experiences, different backgrounds. That's all of us when we come to Jesus. He's perfect. We're flawed. But once I encounter Jesus, I need to be making some transformation by learning more about him. I need to be changing how I am. It seemed like one of the parts of the movie is the, the whole hippie movement of, hey, you know, hippie was about not corporate, not standard, not following anything to where now we're branding Jesus in that way. And that's not what Jesus was really about. Uh, so I, I have concerns with that. And then you get caught up in the emotionality of it that, man, this is just such a euphoric situation where I take it with truth. And a lot of times this happens in the church today is I, if we don't preach the reality of Christianity, the suffering, the confrontations that we're going to fight every day because we're telling truth to a lying and dying world. People, when they come into Christ and they start suffering, they're like, OK, well, now what's up? What, what is this? So if you're just following the euphoria of, man, there's thousands of people getting baptized and man, this is great. And this is kind of a hippie church and all that. What happens when your main leader who came through falls publicly? You know, what happens with that? Happen? Are we going to double down on the word or do we just sweep him out the back door and just kind of go? So in those efforts, I think we're also pushing that now where you do have the LGBTQ kind of wing saying, hey, we love Jesus, too. And and you've got churches that are compromising on the truth in order to appease them. Let's stick with the word. Let's stick with the truth. Yes, grace, mercy can be messy, but Jesus in his perfection uh, makes it all better. When I left the movie, that was my concern that I think some people watch the movie and think the message is that the church would just let the LGBT in, yeah. things will be better. Yeah. Exactly. And, and just let them in and then let, let, you know, let them do their thing. 
and then let God do decide, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, I think that's one way, but then there's part of me that's right there with Shamika and, and thinking like, look at Shamika's 19-year-old daughter. Something's been put out into the culture about Jesus that has her so excited. She's telling her friends about it. And, there's, and so it sparks something. And I feel confident that with Shamika and her father guiding her, it's actually going to take her down a healthy path. And, I'm, and so I guess my standards have been so lowered that anything <laughs> that takes a kid down that path, I'm just overwhelmed and thrilled with. And it's like, man, this is a lot better than Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so you have the milk and you have the meat. Right. Even when you go to Hebrews five, going into Hebrews six, it talks about how, you know, a lot of newer Christians are used to the milk. Right. But it's time to mature in your faith and get the meat. So I I feel like this movie, you know, can possibly lead people. But once again, I mean, like like he said, it's a struggle. What do you do when when the struggle actually happens? What do you do when you are tested? Test every spirit. You see what I'm saying? So my my, my issue, I don't think the movie prepared people for that. But again, it's, it's just it's a movie about something that happened. It can have positive effects. It was a well put together movie, great acting, great storyline, you know. But I feel like all they needed to do was to put in the truth and it would have made it beautiful. And so the truth that should have been represented, let's remove, let's say Lonnie didn't even exist. For me, the truth is like you focused in on California and the hippie movement, and a lot of these people were from San Francisco. San Francisco is the gay capital of the world. Yep. And so literally, they left out the LGBT stuff on purpose. And and, and there's a negotiation. If you know anything about Hollywood or whatever, maybe they wanted to cover it, but Hollywood said, nah, we're not gonna make this movie. And so what we will allow you to do, Greg, Laurie, and because I think it's based off his book and Mm -hmm. I'm sure he had something to do with it. What we will let you do, Greg, is, and this is where I thought the movie hit a home run, him and his girlfriend, now wife for 40, 50 years, however long it's been, both said, Ain't not, the only thing that can come between us is if you try to lead me away from God. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very powerful message for young people. And beautiful. That I've never, I don't think I've ever seen it in a movie where people are supposed to, that's some equal yokeness right there. That sure. that to me is like sure. the agree. definition of if y'all can agree on that, as long as you don't pull me away from God and you don't, we're good. We can survive everything else. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful message. And so again, maybe I'm grading on too easy of a curve, but I'm sure Shamika, I'm I'm probably pointing at some things that made you feel good about it and feel good about the message that was conveyed to your daughter. Uh, Yeah, because I didn't see where they allowed sin. You know, when the the hippies came in, I feel like they just said, come as you are. But to me, I felt like there was an expectation because they continued to say, you know, like, let's go to the word of God. You know, I felt like they did what the Bible says or what Jesus commanded, which is if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. So I, I didn't see where there was this, you know, even in the movie trying to portray that it's okay to accept 
a different lifestyle as far as seeing. Um, I thought that they opened their doors, but there was an expectation to actually repent and change and be cleansed and, and live according to the word. So that was what was exciting for me. I've sat in churches where people have turned their nose up to the person coming in off the street that may be dirty or look a certain way. But these people are changed. As I was saying, the last church that I went to, one of the women, um, she brought in someone that was an atheist. However, he actually accepted Jesus because the church actually preached the Bible, you know, and so and they were able he was able to feel the love of God. So that is what I appreciated. Uh, is very different from some of the churches that I've been to where you have to be dressed a certain way. You got to have your hat on, your shoes got to be right. You got to run around the church just right. You got to say hallelujah three times, you know, in the right pitch for them to think that you are a certain way. And so I appreciated the fact that they show doors being open, but there were, uh, they were expected to change, you know, had they just continued to say, oh, yeah, stay on your drugs. That's what you're supposed to do. Get high. You know, that's going to bring you to God. Then I think I would have had an issue with it. But I appreciate it when he said that they are looking, searching for the right things in all the wrong places. And as someone who has uh smoked marijuana and had a lace blunt before and someone who has lost myself in worship and prayer, I do feel like there's a, a, an innate desire to want to go to that next level that, in my opinion, only comes from worshiping God. That is like the best place to be when you lose yourself and you, you come back and it's an hour later that is the way that you actually get to commune and experience God. But I do think because we are creatures, um, you know, created by God, we have this longing to experience him. And some people do, you know, not make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to go out and smoke crack to find God, but there's this innate desire or this longing to want to connect to something greater and they do end up doing that. But the right way is through finding Christ and having that type of communion. So I like that message as well, that there are a lot of people searching for God or searching for the right things in all the wrong places. So I feel like, you know, again, if we live Jesus He'll draw all men unto to himself. And so I think that's where we kind of get um, in error uh, trying to be responsible for the person, you know, but one plants the seed, one waters and God brings the increase. And so that was kind of the message that I got. It didn't bother me at all that I've been telling my kids like God is the way, God is the way, God is the way. They've heard it. And if this message uh, or this movie brought any type of increase, then I'm grateful for it. I'm going to do what I always do with virtually every movie. I'm, I'm going to give my th how you fix up this movie. And, and, and it, it's right in line with, I think, what you and Anthony, I think, I'm speculating, correct me if I'm wrong, are talking about. If there had been, because I sit here and think about what Hollywood when they really want to make a movie connect and what they do with great storytelling. And this had it, it had the love story that people, 
but, but they make the stakes so high, life or death. And, and you see the trauma that people went through. And even if I went to the, the show Game of Thrones, everything's life or death. People are dying. They, they, they want this so bad and blah, blah. And so they show all the grittiness and all the dirtiness. And then they show you the redemption on the other side or the consequences on the other side. And that's how you have a great movie that sticks with people. And we could have had it right here with this, given just the reality of we, what we know from our life experience and church experience. Anthony being a minister as long as you have and me living as long as I have, we done seen some really broke people yeah. get put back together yeah. or good people fall apart because they strayed. We've seen it all. And that could have been in this movie because <clears throat> the, the other dangerous message that they were with the whole hippies and they left you, somebody, an unsophisticated person will watch that movie and think, maybe there's some benefits to drugs and understanding God. And, and what they could have done is shown you like, no, here, because drugs are a way for Satan to remove your inhibitions and to get you to do things out of character. Sure. And if, if you understand how some people uh, go on a path that they never intended to go on, um, you go out to Hollywood and you out there for too long, you run in them celebrity world and you go to too many of them celebrity parties, eventually you're gonna try some drugs that you never thought you would try. And eventually once they get you to try them drugs and you're at the party and it's 3 a.m., the next thing you know, you're gonna be doing something sexually you never thought you would ever do. And the next thing, and then on the other side of that, then you're gonna start trying these other things, sexually. you've already done this, and blah, 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 and, and, and now you've given in to sexual immorality and lust and everything, and you're down a path that has all these negative consequences, and that could have been captured in this movie. It's out in LA. These people are from San Francisco. They're all into drugs. And it explains why they're all into bending over and having somebody stick something in their <laughs> rear ear. It's, you remove the drugs, there's a lot less of that, trust me. And that could have been conveyed in the movie and, and shown like these are some really lost people. And, and it caused a lot of discord in the church. And, 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 and trust me, I think the Greg Laurie, from best I can tell in the research everywhere, th this dude, you know, he, he got forbidden. He, he was really strong on this anti-LGBT deal and was ostracized a lot of places. And this is out in California. Uh, so anyway, no different than how I was saying with Creed, if they had just drawn the lines in the saying good versus evil a little bit stronger, it would have been a more compelling movie. I think we all think if they had shown a little bit more of the turmoil and truth, more compelling movie, only grace I will give them. Getting Hollywood, and who'd you say Lionsgate did this? Lionsgate, yeah, Lionsgate was a part of it. There was a negotiation process. We have no idea what was tried to get put in the movie <laughs> and couldn't, and this is the best we could get and so I stand strong with my eight. I will, uh, <laughs> if anybody wants to add a final thought. Let me just say, yeah. I would have shown more of the 
as you said, with the love story, if you put God, you know, you come between me and God that I would have loved to have seen that with the hippie, with the drug addict, because it's them leaving that world to love God even more. I would have loved to have seen more of that kind of friction between leadership because there is a word to speak to some of our churches. Shamika's bringing it up that sometimes in churches we can have this posture of I'm better than looking down on the person that comes in. There's a word to you to say, hey, but by the grace of God, you could still be where God brought you out of. I would have loved to have seen that whole thing. But end of the day, we're talking about bring more truth to the table on all fronts. It may be messy, but it's true. I mean, when you look at the movie, what was the worst thing that happened? A dude almost got into a wreck um, and then got high and saw the dude, the girl's sister, almost overdosed. And she woke up laughing. Um, I mean, what other, what other harms or, or the dude was... Those are pretty bad, though, but I... I mean, for, for a movie, it, it, like, yeah. for, for a movie, if you're trying to really capture some of the emotion, like, like you just said, but you watch more movies, bad they, like real bad things happen to make you capture how bad things are. So if somebody overcome or comes through, it makes you feel it more. Um, with, with this stuff, I'm not saying those things are good, obviously, but it's like, I mean, especially when we know it's more to it. Definitely. Mm-hmm. You, you could have taken the old guy that left the church. I may have given him a little bit of a backstory that maybe he's out in California. And so maybe this is 1971 they're depicting. Maybe in 1965, at the height of all this free drugs and hippie rock and roll, maybe he got involved in an illicit lifestyle that the church and he and Chuck are talking like, Chuck, man, you know what I've been through? You know what brought me here and what I'm trying to leave alone? And you brought these people front and center. And this guy, the one trying to get me to do drugs, and and you brought in somebody that knows my history, and he said something to my (laughs) wife, and he's trying to seduce me back into that. And that's why he left the church. Now more of that friction yes. in that, but they just yeah. let them. They let them walk away. They let Lonnie <laughs> walk away to tell this kind of sanitized story. I, and I'm, I give them credit. They're starting a conversation, and like you said, who knows what the negotiation was? But it would have been even more compelling, and I think it would have really evoked more of a response if we saw the messiness, because that's what our stories are. It's God bringing us out of the messiness. It's us fighting to want to rebel, but his grace pulling us back in. It's all of that that makes it a compelling story. And Anthony, you may be able to, you may relate to this comment uh, as much as Bryson and Shamika, but these guys are a bit more off into the political world. This movie, The Daily Wire should have made instead of Terror on the Prairie. <laughs> They spent 20 million bucks on Terror on the Prairie. Just think if they had tried to tell this movie, this story, it's doing well at the box office, exceeding all expectations. You could have had a blockbuster if the right people had got behind it and telling this story rather than that Terror on the Prairie. Shamika, I'll give you the final thought. And, Um, you know, we got great Christian stories to tell. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. I don't know. So I have two things to say. One, I felt like I thought it, they did a good job when um, the the girlfriend's sister almost overdosed and she decided she didn't want to hang with them anymore because she almost saw her sister die. And that's 
sent her on a search for Jesus. And then when um, Greg actually had the incident in the car and he had the, the time outside and then he wanted to also go into the church to see what was going on. But he got afraid and said, this feeling I've never felt before, but what if it's like all of the other times when I was let down? So I do feel like they show that there is a difference in going out here and getting high and then actually finding the true high, the real high, the real thing that's actually going to change your life. And when you all say that you needed to see more, it kind of makes me feel a little bit like, um, and I get for maybe younger people or uh, people that aren't as familiar with the church, but I think those of us that have been involved with the church, we know there's more. It's like saying I needed to see Carol and Mike really get down with the get down. When you saw them get in the bed, you knew exactly what was about to take place. So it's like we know that there's more than that that goes on in the church. But it actually just was a different story in actually showing how Greg Laurie went out here. I didn't. Personally, I didn't need to see all of that to know what actually takes place in the church behind closed doors. We just had a pastor here arrested for um, molesting the ch children, put on a $10 million bond. I know another pastor who uh, goes out on dates, he has one of the largest churches in the city. He goes out of town. Um, his senior pastor sometimes goes out of town. This is what they do. The wife is bisexual. I know that. So we know that this happens. I don't need to see that every day. What I do need to see more of is people teaching the word, which is one of the reasons I like Bryson so much. He sticks to the word and let the chips fall where they may. I don't need to know any other thing about Bryson. I'm hoping, you know, he doing what he's supposed to do. But I appreciate the fact that he just gives the word. And that is what's going to actually change hearts is is the word. Not all the dirty, nasty stuff. We, we know that happens. That's what I talk about, though. Talk about the dirty and nasty stuff, which is in the word. You know, like I said, the difference between this story and... Uh, like, I'm not even talking about creating new friction. I'm saying it's a part of that story where it was true friction and they left it out on purpose. Like Jason no, said, mean, it's like not because of the deal or something. Like, if you was you doing my life, but I'm, I'm just saying. But, but I talk about my life. I've been, I've been celibate 10 years. I used to make out with random women. I was, a pop, I was in a popular rap group in North Carolina, as you know. I used to be degenerate. My videos are all over the internet from my past. I don't delete them. I leave it up. Because if I delete them, guess what I'm doing? Removing the right. truth from my own story. Right. I don't do but that. I, don't I leave everything up. You can go listen to my old music when I use a curse like a sailor. You, you can go see everything about my life. Yeah. What I'm saying is what drew me to you, though, was how you just drop the word. You drop it like it's hot and you just go on um, about your business. And <laughs> so true, I true. think we got to get more into just the word because that's what's going to bring the change. Thank you, guys. Awesome. Uh, we'll play some harmony. We'll see you tomorrow. How did we end up so divided? Stop fighting and stand tall. 
to be a nation, one united. Now we're headed for a downfall. Gotta let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Harmony. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Harmony. Put all your weapons down. Love one another now. Harmony. Time for us to My brother, see through the lies you tell us. Cause together we're so much stronger. God, let your light shine down. What we need more than anything now. Let's make a simple vow. Let's come together now. Put all your weapons down. Get to me Open up your eyes and see 